Good evening, everyone. The subject of tonight's Shia is the Jewish people, a nation that dwells apart. There was a very interesting speech that was given by Yitzchak Rabin at the time of the Oslo Accords. And he said the following. He quoted a posuk in Pasha's Balak that says, Am levadad yishkai. The Jewish people is a nation that dwells alone. And when he quoted that Pasuk, he said, There is no more Amlevadad Yishkoi. We don't have to be alone anymore. We've been opened up with opportunities, trade, international recognition. We don't have to be anymore in what he was understanding from the Pasuk as being like the pariahs of the world, as being separate, etc. However, this Pasuk is actually a praise. Amlevadad Yishkoin means that the Jewish people is supposed to dwell separately from the nations of the world. That is going to be our role. And that is where we are supposed to find our meaning and our success in our creation in this world and why we are even here. And the question is why? What is the idea that the Jewish people are not supposed to be reckoned with everyone else? Why is that and what is our specific role? So in this parasha, we are introduced to the first person who is the progenitor of our nation. And that is Avram Avinu. Avram Avinu began his life surrounded by hostility. He was surrounded by a culture that only cared about idolatry. It cared about narcissism. It cared about a king who said, I rule over everything else. I'm not interested in anything godly. And Avram Avinu grew up in that and realized, though it took him time, that there's only one God and I need to serve him. Not only did he not have support from his father, his father handed him over to the king. And he had to debate, argue, speak out, and create an enclave himself of those who were loyal to God. In fact, when he was growing up over there, he was surrounded by only a few people that actually shared his belief and everybody else was on the other side. In fact, Avram Avinu was called Avram Ha'ivri. Ivri means the one from the other side. You know, in today you would say, that's the Meshuggah, that's the one uh, who we don't go like. But Avram Avinu continued. He traveled to the city of Haran. And he settled over there. And he became very successful. And he became a leader to hundreds of people. But again, at odds ends with everybody else in society. And after 75, Avram Avinu was told to leave again and go to the land of Israel. Now you'd think if he'd go to the land of Israel, he would encounter a very responsive populace. It's the Holy Land. It's God's special country where the flood did not destroy. And yet, when he gets there, he's also encountering hostility. And people are not interested. So it seems to be very lonely for Avram Avinu. He then goes down to Egypt and they kidnap his wife. And again, he's put in danger. He comes back. So Avram Avinu goes through hostility. Time and time and time again, whether it's Ur-Kazdim, Charon, 
in Eretz Yisrael, in different places in Eretz Yisrael, in Mitzrayim, in the land of the Philistines, wherever he goes, it's Avram Avinu on the one side and everybody else on the other. Now, if we fast forward to the end of Avram Avinu's life, how do you think he was spoken of? Do you think he was spoken of as the rebel, the revolutionary, the one who didn't conform? No. In fact, when he died, the people said that the captain of the ship has died. He has gone. Who is going to lead us? The prince of God has gone. I don't get it. He was a person who went against what everybody else believed him. He stood up against child sacrifice. He stood up against selfishness. He set up a network of kindness. He stood forth against idolatry and serving one God, sacrificing only to him. Wherever he went, he never accepted what people did. He ate kosher. Why should he be remembered well at all? Because the answer is, is that Avram Avinu stood not as a separatist, not as a pariah, not as someone who had his own way of doing things, but he stood for something more. He stood for something higher. He said that God is above and we've got to be like God. We've got to be people that imitate him and not be selfish and animal-like, like all the society around him. And you know what? When you're confronted with that truth, you will hate it. You will fight against it. But in heart of hearts, you know that he's above. And this is what Bilam meant. Am a nation that dwells alone, does not mean that we're going to be isolated from everyone else. It means that we will never gain a full acceptance of the nations to be like all other nations. But the only way we are going to rise to the top is if we are faithful to God and then the nations of the world will submit to us. The greatest example of this was at the time of King Shlomo of Shlomo HaMelech. That when 70 kings used to come, leaders used to come to him all the time just to pay tribute, just to listen to his wisdom, just to offer gifts because they saw that God was so great. And Shlomo did not have massive treaties and leagues of nations and connections, but rather he ruled over the nations that were around him. And the people paid him taxes. And the people acknowledged that God is king. And people traveled from all over to go and see Shlomo HaMelech. And they had a fear of him. And they didn't try and attack him. Not because they didn't want to. They were jealous. But they saw that God is with this people. This people is above everyone else. And that's Am For the Jewish people to gain our true position in this world. We have to acknowledge who we are and what our role is in history. It's interesting. When you look back, when the Jewish people were created as a nation, when we became as one people, the birth of our nation was Yetzirah Mitzrayim leaving Egypt. Most nations, when you learn about their beginnings, it came about with war. It came about through protests. 
came about through revolution. And at each step of the way, someone influential, charismatic, powerful, insightful, guided the way, eventually resulting in that nation becoming a nation. You can look at this with all the nations of the world. But there's one nation that didn't become a nation at all through its own means and not through its own hands. But that was the Jewish people, where they were enslaved. There was nothing that the Jewish people really could do. And God took away everything they had, and God gave them back everything directly through him. What did the Jews do during the plagues? The answer is nothing practically to affect the Egyptians. Nor during the Yamsuf, during the drowning. Nor when they were given the Torah. There was no war, there was no weapons, there was no fighting. Our first battle took place with Amalek after we'd already left Egypt and brought Egypt to its knees. Because God wants to teach us that we are not like everybody else. And when we acknowledge that and understand that, then HaKadosh Baruch Hu showers upon us blessings. Am levoted Yishkan. Bilam looked at the people and said, This nation is greater than anybody else in the world. And that has never changed. Shlomo Melech declares in Shirashim Song of Songs that even when the Jewish people were blackened with sin, even when they were at their lowest point at the destruction of the temple, we were still Yafesh Abednoshim. We were still the most beautiful woman, so to speak. We were the most beautiful nation, spiritually in our ways, morally, far above anybody else. So why was it destroyed, the Beis Amigdash? Because Hashem expects more of us. And it's a privilege to have a Beis Amigdash and to have Eretz Yisrael. But He commands more of us. You know, I heard a lecture this week by historian Dennis Prager. Very interesting lecture. Of course, he's not coming from a Torah perspective. But he made a fascinating point. And he said the interesting thing. He says, you know, Israel would be the first time in history that you have a free country fighting against a dictatorship. And what? The free country is blamed with beginning the war. The free country is blamed with being aggressive. The free country is blamed with taking away rights. He says, where in history do you ever have that? And when history do you ever have in the world today even, where there is one nation that people are gunning for their extinction? One country that people don't want that country to exist. We haven't got there elsewhere in the world. Where else? Where else have you got this? This absolute obsession. And the truth is, is that if we understand we're not perturbed by that, we're encouraged. Remember, I've got a relative up north in Israel, and she told me that following the Six Day War, that her son who was fighting in the army said, There are going to be no more wars. That was the belief of the time. Firstly, if we establish a state, the nations will accept us, and, and therefore there won't be anti Semitism. History's proven that wrong. Once we defeated the armies in the most spectacular way in the Six-Day War, there'll be no more wars. History proved that wrong. Maybe it's because we're not contributing enough to the world. Who excels more in contribution 
on all areas, not only that, but in helping, in social care, just in society. Who has not excelled higher than the Jewish people? No one. No one in the state of Israel. And yet we are hated just the same. And people have scratched their heads and wondered. You know, one guy said to me, I don't get it, you know, like, like the greatest minds have put their heads to this to solve the issues of the Middle East. But that's because they're looking in their noses. They're not looking through the Torah. The Torah says clearly, Am levadad yishkain. We're a nation that dwells alone. We will never gain the acceptance of the nations as one of them. The only thing that's ever going to change is if we are godly and we rule over them. But it's not going to be that we're going to have real friends. It's not going to happen. And as much as we think, it's just not going to be. So give a marshal to give a parable to explain this. You know, imagine you had a prince. And the prince misbehaved and he was thrown out of the palace. The king sent him away. But the king sent guards to make sure that the prince was okay. And he went and he got involved with a bunch of, you know, real ruffians, loafers. And he tried to gain acceptance from them. And he acted like them. And he did like them. And he helped them. And they still treated him badly and he couldn't understand why. Until he got the following message. You are not one of them. You're a prince. You are not one of them. You're something greater. When you act that way, your father will come and take you out of this and bring you back to the palace where you belong. Like Ramilla said, when he was sitting down to a Friday night meal and he asked his granddaughter's husband, why are we eating kosher food? He said, because we are aristocrats. Hashem has given us a position of nobility. So the same food that's good for the nations is not good for us. The same lifestyle that's good for the nations is not good for us. The same interests, the same goals that's good for the nations is not good for us. When we acknowledge that, then it's a different world. It's an interesting story that David Ben-Gurion, who died in 1973 after Yom Kippur War, Before he died, there was a rabbi who came in to see him. And it's always an interesting time to interview someone privately when they're very old. Obviously, if it's on public, you know, um, communications and media, so then everything's going to be, you know, accordingly. But on a private scale, you can afford to be honest. And the rabbi challenged David Ben-Gurion and said, Are you happy with the state of Israel? And Ben-Gurion said, this is not the child that I prayed for. Meaning, no. So the rabbi sensed what he was saying. And he said, why don't you become religious? And Ben-Gurion said, there are two reasons why I won't. Number one, I've got too many friends to let down. And number two, I'm too old. It's a very important story that, of course, would never, ever get published because it doesn't suit people. They don't want to hear such a story. But it's the truth. When people have gone through their lives fighting for a cause, but within that cause, it's in conjunction with the understanding that we are one of the nations and we can be like them, we can gain acceptance, then you're going to be bitterly disappointed. And that is unfortunately what has happened. And what has happened 
today amongst our, amongst our people all over the world. People don't get why is it you go to America and the Jewish people have contributed so much and there's still anti-Semitism. How can that be? How can it be that in South Africa, where the Jewish people took such an active role in developing the economy and many Jews took an active role in the establishment of the change of government, and yet the government sends their foreign minister to support Iran and has personal connections with Hamas. How can it be? And yet, when Nelson Mandela was asked how many Jews are in the country, he said a million, and we know there's less than a 100,000, because the Jewish people are am levadad yishkoin. We're a nation that dwells apart. There was once a great rabbi, I think his name was Rabbi Yechanan, lived about a thousand years ago, and he was walking in the streets, and he met up with a priest, and a priest said to him, have you heard about the latest decree? He says, what's the decree? The decree is you've got to wear an emblem showing that you're Jewish. Right? This is where the yellow star originated from. And he says to Rabbi Yechonon, do you know why this has come about? He says, no. He says, I'll tell you why. We sat together, the priest, and we discussed it. Because you Jews are not proud of who you are. You don't wear your tzitzit out. So we're sending this to you to remind you who you are. That was Hashem opening up the mouth of this person to describe and tell us that we are in a different plane, a different role. And when we forget that, the nations of the world will come and remind us of that. Avram Avinu laid the groundwork, though, for success. How could it be that a person could live at odds ends with everyone else he lived, everybody he met, and yet gain such tremendous admiration and be such a contributor to the world? And the answer is because he trusted in God. And we've got those genes. We trust in God. Then Hashem gives us the same strength to be in any country, any society, any culture, and to maintain who we are and to rise to the top. And when we acknowledge God's position as to where we are, everything changes. An interesting story, Rabbi Emanuel Feldman Schlitter. Phenomenal rabbi in America. Beautiful book called Tales Out of a Shoe. Some people said to me, I should write such a book. Because what he did was, when he took over his rabbonus, a lot younger than me, he was 24. And he wrote down various happenings and questions that took place when he was a rabbi, and later he publishes a book, which is a phenomenal book, sometimes very humorous as well. And one time he decided at the behest, I believe it as one of his congregants, to go to a baseball game. And as Hashem would have it, that there was a beautiful, beautiful shot that went into the stadium, and the ball landed right in his hands. Can you imagine? How many people do you know have ever been to any stadium? where the ball has come out into the stadium and landed right and you catch it. And of course he was caught on national TV, etc. And he said, hold on a minute. What is Hashem sending me a message over here? What am I doing exactly as a rabbi? Is this where I should be? Right? This is, this is his question that he asked himself. It's quite astounding that the ball landed in my hands. What's the message? Am levodad Renation. That dwells alone. 
which means we are a nation that dwells above. We're a people that strives for something more and that wants something better. If you understand that, then the Jewish people in the world stage takes on a different role. Not a futile um, idea of trying to gain popularity and acceptance because that just doesn't work and it will never help. But rather to be an example and a leader, as the Postsuch says, or legoyim, a light to the nations. What is light? When a person's in darkness and he doesn't know where to go, he's got no guidance, no means of directing himself, then he needs light. The Jewish people are supposed to be the guide to the world. We're supposed to be the directive of the world to show everyone else what the correct way is and what God's will is. Not our own uh, personal ideas based on the whims of the times, which of course changes dramatically from generation to generation. Today, Baruch Hashem, the Jewish people are getting stronger. The Jewish people are becoming more united. The more I hear, the more besimcha, the more joyous I am. Jews are joining hands. Jews are volunteering to help each other. Jews are opening up kitchens. Jews are opening up their houses to other Jews. Jews are extending their pockets. Jews are sending for all over the world to their brothers and sisters. I saw now there's a drive for 10,000 pairs of tzitzis to the army. Before Shabbos, I don't believe there's ever been in our history such a Kabbalah Shabbos that existed in the army on this Erev Shabbos last week. I don't believe there's ever been such an interest in God as there's been today. And I don't believe in years there's been Jews that are standing together caring for each other without looking to see how they dress, what they associate with, what their ideology is, whether they agree with me, whether they don't agree with me. Because ultimately we have to know that if we don't come together, Hashem sends the nations to remind us that we are the Jewish people. The Kloisenberger Rebbe of blessed memory was in the war and one time in the bunker he was with a very well-to-do Jew. And he said to this man, he said, who are you? He said, you don't know me? He said, no. He said, I was the head of one of the most important banks of Hungary. He said, really? He said, tell me more. He said, yes, I was extremely wealthy. I married a very important Hungarian woman, had children with her. And he said, tell me, said the Klozenberger Rebbe. Did you do anything for the country? He said, yes, I helped the economy tremendously after World War I. He says, and tell me, did anyone come and stand up for you? He said, no. And he says, where's your wife and children? They left me behind. They never stood by you. And he said, please, Rebbe, it's too painful for me. Please, it's too painful for me. And the Rebbe pushed him and knocked him and tried his best. And at the end, he died. And the Rebbe said, I wasn't trying to harm him and to cause him pain. But I wanted him to do Teshuvah. It's not worth it. We can try, we can stretch our necks out to gain acceptance. We will never gain acceptance to be like everyone else. But we will gain the recognition 
when we stand above and we are godly and we look up to our Father in heaven who loves us more than anything else that He created in this entire universe. Hashem should bless us that when we walk into the world this week, think a little bit about Avram Avinu, how he approached everything. He didn't have Jews around him. He didn't have like-minded people. And every time he walked in the street, he was different. Every time he interacted with people, he was different. And he rose above and he was successful. And that is our destiny. May Hashem cause us to see that. Soon in our days, Amen. Have a beautiful night, everyone. Thank you, Rob. Thanks, Sherry.